You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. and welcome. My name is Janice Legata and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with my friends and family. This week's episode is part one of, I don't even know, a two-parter, an event, a series, maybe. As you'll hear in the episode, this conversation with my friend Tiffany was a long time coming. We have needed to talk and been planning to talk for years. And when we finally got to it, we talked for over three hours. So grab a snack, go to the bathroom, and kiss your kids goodnight because you're going to be here a while. Just kidding. You can clearly see by the timestamp this is coming in at a normal length. So this is part one. But due to the holidays, apparently next week is Christmas. What? And an idea I had as I was editing this, I'm not 100% sure yet what these next few weeks are going to look like episode-wise, but I do know we're going to be talking a lot and you're going to be hearing a lot about the ways churches and church leaders sometimes take advantage of people, the effect that can have on mental health, and the reality of religious trauma. So, let's dive into this first part and journey with Tiffany from Catholicism to Evangelicalism, from New York to Sydney to Boston and back, prepared to fill all the things... Let's get into it. When I first saw you, I said, oh my, I said, oh my, Tiffany Perez. Tiffany, I met, I think, in 2013. Yep. Uh, my first memory of you was at Scandusical the very first time. And you were helping set up everything. And I'm like, who is this girl that like came out of nowhere? <laughs> and is like on my life support team now. Like <laughs> helping me hold all this together. And then from there, we've always just been like in each other's periphery. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've always kind of known like what's happening with you. And yeah. then even this conversation, I'm like, this is something that's like been on the books for a couple of years now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, everyone's like, you need to talk to Janice Tiffany. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, you need to talk to Tiffany. I'm like, no, I know. Okay. So I thought at different points, like we reached out to each other and then almost like set something up and then something else would happen or, you know, whatever. Um, and so both of our... I feel like our faith has been on like a similar trajectory. You yes. you've been a lot of the places that I've been. Yeah. <laughs> We've gone through a lot of the same things or similar things with a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I feel like and now now we're kind of in the same place. True true or false. <laughs> <laughs> uh true, very true. Um yeah, it's it's because it's not it Hillsong is a massive world, but when you when you're around, you see so many people every week at every event. So it was it was always that like we had a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. Um, we never served on a team together, but we were always at the same place at the same time doing something like. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, Jan- I, there's Janice. Oh yeah, there's Tiffany. Like, yeah. so it, I, 
it, this is long overdue for sure. <laughs> so yeah, so we've both been in Hillsong World. We're both out of Hillsong World now. Um, but are we Christians? That's 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 the question of the moment. So, um, <laughs> I've been like debating which route I want to take. <laughs> No, because I was like, this could go either way. This might be the first, the first person who's like, I don't know if I want to be one of those. Because when I think of a Christian mm-hmm. in 2020, and a Christian that I've come to encounter at Hillsong. Ooh, here we go. Um, I think someone that has a misconception of what rest is. Um and seeing them taking care of themselves as selfish. Like you only, uh, what was it, Yolfo? You only live for others. It's not about you. So that's, that's where I've been with uh, seeing Christians right now to this day. Um, and I want no part of that <laughs> whatsoever. And knowing you, you don't fit those boxes either. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) All right. So that's it this week. Two non-Christians chopping it up. I want to always, always be known as being compassionate and empathetic and trying to be a decent human being. I'll take it. So we are not Christians, but we used to be. How did, how did you get mixed up in that crazy world? Oof. Um, well, I was raised Catholic. Um, and I, it was very traditional. Like, you, it was something you did. We believed in God. We went to church every Sunday. Um, made it a thing. Uh, as a teenager, I was actually one of the leaders at my youth group um, at my Catholic church. And it was unheard of but considering where the church was it was either you were part of church or you was out on the streets doing stuff you shouldn't have been doing um and that got messy because um of the older people at church not wanting the youth and young adults to actually do stuff even though they were the future of the church and i had a major problem with it because i'm like we're all gonna die eventually we don't know when that's gonna happen but sometimes how that works is normally the older people go first (laughs) usually right so i'm just like i i can't be involved in a place where um knowing the neighborhood and knowing specifically even where the church was actually physically located in brooklyn like it was Mm -hmm. like up the block they're either selling drugs and then here at church we're here um and you're denying people of doing something good for their life so you're denying people from either choosing to do something good or to be on the streets um and i didn't want to be a part of it anymore um and then i was introduced to was the manager of 14th street salvation army right yeah 
and I had reacquainted with and always been best friends with and um, she knew about my church and she knew where I was with my church um, April 29th of 2012 um, I had invited to do the March of Dimes with me and my family and she was like if I go with you you're gonna come with me to church and I was like, fair deal. So, you know, I was just rolling with the punches. I, I was already exhausted too, because I walked for miles that morning. Mm -hmm. um, and I was promised coffee. Impressive. Ended up getting a seat front and center, me and <laughs> stuff down. Um, and I remember sitting there like, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Yeah. No idea what's gonna happen. Also, this is a huge auditorium. Are, how many of these chairs are going to fill up? Like, I didn't, I didn't know. So when everything started and all these floods of people started coming in, I'm like, okay, all right. And then worship happens. And um, I'm just like, I, I thought it was, it was beautiful. Um, you can feel something in the air. But I also was going through a lot too. I had left a my childhood church at the right. time. And I also had a long, exhausting day just as a human being. Like, you can get in your feelings quick when it's been a long day. Yeah. Um, but I also knew that, like, like, I felt like something was off in my life. And, you know, I, I was like, okay. Then this, like, cool looking white man comes on stage, and I'm like, are y'all seeing this? Because who is this? Like, they're like, oh, this is a pastor. I'm like, of what? He's a lead pastor. He's just going to preach. I'm like, okay. Um, the message was called, It's Time to Come Home. And it was around the story of the prodigal son. You know, something I've read numerous times. I also taught on when, at my previous church as well. And it was a message I had never heard before in the way in which it was spoken, you know, and it hit a chord. And I thought the raising of the hand happened. There was tears. There may have been snot involved. Um, but on April 29th, 2012, I decided to raise my hand and I got a tattoo of it. Which oh. there have been times that we're like, oh, maybe I should cover this up now. But no, I'm not going to do that. Um, from there, like, that was the ending of April by July. Um, I was there all day at Irving. Mm -hmm. We would go super early. And if I saw anyone that needed help, I'd just help them. So I didn't really have a specific team <laughs> that I served on. I'm like, oh, you need help bringing a chair? Okay, I'll help with the chair. Um, or, oh, you need these lights set up? Like, okay. And it started from there, there all day, then going to Gramercy, then being at Irving and Gramercy. Oh, um, <laughs> um, the 945-ish services. Oh. I was like, yeah, I can do this. There's a big ass welcome home sign. Yep. And, you know, I help at home. Ah. I was raised to, you have hands and feet, use them. No one should have to ask you to help kind of deal. That's how I was raised. And so, you know, it trickled into my everyday life. It, it went from zero to a hundred real quick. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick. Um, and then a lot of us ended up getting involved after Sandy hit with City Hope and, well, Rockaway Hope first and then mm-hmm. City Hope and doing street teams. And some of us were also were also serving in different areas within church on Sundays. Yep. Um, so, you know, it quickly became a family. And um, I'm used to dysfunctional families. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, it was great for what it was. And because I was so involved in basically everything, like there wasn't a day that I really had off. Mm-hmm. When when it came to doing anything for Hillsong, like I met a lot of people, and um, one of the people that I met was Jim Hogue, and my conversations with him and Bobby like just led me to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never really been encouraged by an older couple before mm-hmm. of their caliber, so to interact with the Hogues was like mind-blowing yeah and you know one of the first conversations that i ever had with jim he was like you're gonna be a pastor and i'm like i don't know what that means <laughs> you know i did go to a house on college q a never thought i'd ever leave the country because mm-hmm. i had never traveled outside of the u.s before i did not have a passport I applied to Hillsong College in December, November of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I was first denied because I was honest <laughs> and told them that I was broke. I remember talking to someone and they're like, Tiff, just, and I'm like, you want me to lie? Are we doing this? Cause I don't, I'm okay with that. Um, so I did. I lied. Yeah. I lied on my application. I was like, yeah, I got money. I can do this. Um, immediately got accepted. <laughs> I quit my job, my salary job <laughs> with the New York City Police Department. Salary, adult, legitimate job. job. Benefits. To get that job, I had to wait two years. And I was barely there for two years and I resigned, resigned at 26. <laughs> then my bosses were like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like heartbroken that I left. Yeah. And then I got to Australia and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I am a foreigner now and I am broke and I slept on a couch for six months and um, I was in classes with people that dreamed their entire lives to go to Hillsong College and I'm just like, this is what you dream? Like, okay. <laughs> but you know, I was hyped. Like I, I was like, I actually was able to, everything fell into place and I was able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, every six months when tuition was due, I'm like, Lord Jesus. If you do not come down from wherever you are with this money, I'm going to get deported. Like, it's, it was just every six months. 
went from there. Um, it was my first time ever doing something for myself. So it was a huge deal. I never lived outside of New York City. I'm a daughter of a single mom, so I wasn't able to attend college. Um, I don't have any degree because we didn't have money to be able to do that. Not that Hillsong College is accredited, but well, well, it was still something I did for me. Yeah. Um, and I saw it as an opportunity to deepen my faith. I believe that I had a relationship with Jesus. And so I went with the intention of three years and it happened. I still look at it and I'm like, wow, it wasn't a terrible experience. I got so much out of it, but not even college. I met so many people. Yeah. Um, like can go anywhere in the world right now and have somewhere to stay. Yeah. And that's the best part about it. Absolutely. Like the the best the best part about it. We were all struggling together. Mm -hmm. All of this figuring shit out. Mm -hmm. Um I did learn stuff. I also learned a lot of who I'm not mm. um and who I don't want to be. Yeah. I also learned a lot about the church mm -hmm. and what a church should be and what it shouldn't be. Good, the bad, and the ugly mm -hmm. of it all. All right. So you leave, you leave the shores of Sydney, you come back yes. here, and then you toddle off to Boston where you run into my old friend, Josh Timesy Gines. Yes. Who um, I had ghostwritten for for a couple of years before Boston. When did Boston when did Boston start? Um, Boston started in they started with connect groups in the summer of twenty seventeen. Okay. So I had stopped writing for Josh maybe I guess halfway through twenty sixteen. Okay. And I remember <laughs> I remember like writing I should pull up these emails. I should release them now. <laughs> trying, trying to be honoring and trying, you know, I'd have to go look at it. But like, I remember just being really, really trying to be really nice about it. Be like, you know, you don't, yeah. you don't even need me anymore. Like you've grown so much, blah, 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 whatever. This thought out email and, and what did I get back? Basically like, cool. Thanks for your help. Basically like that was it. It was like a two- I'll overstate it. So I'll say like a three line email. Not surprised. In return. Did you send an invoice? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I could have done. <laughs> but surely he matured and he changed since then. So you're in Boston and it's going great. So I came back. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's, and it's not even like it, that it's triggering anymore. Um, it used to be like, I, it's taken me a very long time and it's been two years now for me to be comfortable with talking about what happened in Boston because Boston is new, still very new. By this point, I was very much aware that a lot of my friends had decided that they were no longer going to be a part of Hillsong. I was graduating from Hillsong College and there were a lot of people that were no longer around and for many different reasons. And I was aware of this and 
there was never this moment that I felt, well, they don't go to Hillsong anymore. I'm not going to talk to them. But, you know, you also try your best to respect people and their decisions. And so there are a handful of people that I didn't talk to anymore because, you know, you're so engulfed at church. Mm -hmm. And if you're not there, you're not there. And it's so hard to like sometimes keep up with your own self. Yeah. So trying to keep up with friendships when they're not physically around was really difficult for me because it was only Josh, Leona, and Steve that were sent up as paid staff members. Everyone else is volunteers, which is part of the Hillsong world. It happens, you know? Yep. Gifts of talents of many. Oh. Um, <laughs> No, no, no. It is not the gifts and talents of a few, but the sacrifice. Oh, there we go. I listen. <laughs> like, mm. Get your wrong theology right. Come on. I was still living here in New York at the time, but I was like, my plan is to move up to Massachusetts somehow. I wanted to find a job first before I moved. Um, I did not come back with a lot of savings from Sydney, so I was again broke. So I paid for buses to go to Boston every weekend. I had a conversation with Josh before I like even got involved at Boston and he was like super pumped about <laughs> him not having to convince me to go up to Boston. And um, none of us were prepared for what was happening at all. Um, Boston is not as close to New York City as people think it is. I need people to get maps <laughs> because the way that everything was set up was that um, Boston was gonna launch their Sunday services but everything was still gonna come out of New York City. And if I'm not mistaken, that's still the case. There isn't an office in Boston. Uh, from, from my knowledge and understanding, um, the church office in Boston is the Kimes' apartment. So from my understanding, they don't pay rent themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it is paid for by Hillsong um, because it's their offices up there, but it didn't mean that the things that we needed for church, like offering envelopes and um, seat drops and announcement stuff, none of that stuff went to their apartment. It was either picked up and drove, driven from New York, to Boston every weekend. That's insane. Or it was shipped to some other volunteer's house and they would have to take an Uber with all the boxes, usually by themselves, to church on Sundays. And it got wild very quickly because, you know, there were a handful of us that did either do Hillsong College or that came from New York 
Um, there were some people that just so happened to also be in Boston. So there was like a core group of people that like already caught the Hillsong culture. And I was one of those people. So I had multiple roles while I was in Boston. And I was still from February up until April going up every weekend from New York. And um, I remember I served at Color that year. And right after Color, bumping out from Color, we had to drive from King's Theater to Boston because we needed to make sure that they had the seat drops that they needed for church in the morning. We drove the entire night and we had to continue stopping because the drivers were so tired that if it wasn't that there were multiple people sitting in the car, we probably would have gotten into accident. And it happened on multiple occasions when I was driving with people where we would have to stop because we we had to go to the place that had to print something, but they weren't there. So we had to wait and then it ended up pushing back so long and the drive was already four hours. And now it was already Saturday night and it was pushing it, but we had to be there for church on Sunday. Um, and we had to try to get there at least by six, seven pushing it to make sure that everything was set up. Um, it was a disaster, to be honest. And, you know, things were happening. Church was still happening because we were making it happen. It's what happens. People make it happen. And it's usually not the people that are getting paid <laughs> to do it. Say that again for the people. <laughs> I, you know, applying for jobs is a full-time job within itself. I was trying to find a job for myself, couldn't find work. So because I wasn't working, I dedicated a lot of hours every week to doing things for Boston. I attended every single meeting. I took notes at every single meeting. I helped take attendance at every single meeting. I was there every Sunday. It quickly went from one service to two services. Like, and I'm looking around and I'm just like, why? Why are you pushing this? Let it grow. Like if it's actually about quality, you, you're not going to continue to push this because we were literally pushing the same people to now do two services. And the majority of the volunteers were college students. Yeah. So when finals came around, this is like when the, it starts like getting like ridiculous because I remember being in the room sometimes and there's being there's conversations that are being had about, you know, the volunteers are now, they're not showing up and, you know, they're wondering why. And I'm like, that's fair, you know, but at the same time, I knew why, because I was, I'm a people person when it comes to this kind of stuff. I've been around the Hillsong world for a very long time. I know what it's like to burn yourself out being aware that people had full, very full lives outside of this. And a lot of them weren't privileged people. Like a lot of them worked really hard to pay for their tuition to attend college. Massachusetts is a massive college state. Many, many people around the world go to Massachusetts for college up there. There are so many good colleges up there. When you think about 
people's personal lives and you don't take that into account, of course people got run down and, and burnt out quickly because now you're like, oh, well, if you actually trusted God, then you wouldn't take off and from serving because you need to study for your finals. And you know, they were trying to be like, oh, well, Tiff, you know, we really need them. So can you like try to talk to them? And I'm like, I need you to understand that when I talk to anyone, it's not me trying to convince them for them to serve at church because I want to make sure that they're okay. Right. And if they came specifically to Massachusetts to attend college, I'm not going to try to convince them not to do what they need to do when it comes to school. Right. I value education. This is a lot of money. A lot of these people had to bust their asses to pay for these things, or their parents had to bust their asses to get to these places for their kids. I'm not going to tell someone, oh, well, church, you, in order for you to um, go to heaven, you need to do whatever we say as your leaders at Hillsong Church. I did not feel comfortable with having those conversations. So I did go to coffees, but it was like, how are you doing? Are you okay? I'm sorry that you feel pressured. Like, I, we don't want you to feel pressured because I was so used to the, the the we language, you know? I was, I wasn't on staff, but I knew that, you know, I was a face that was seen often and I was aware of that, but I'm also very much aware that I'm an individual and no one's gonna tell me who to be. Yeah. So they may have thought that my intention was, well, convince them because we need them. And my intention was, no, I'm gonna check to make sure that as a human being, they're functioning and more than functioning and surviving because what, what a life to live if we're just existing. It was really, really hard because, you know, it was a new campus. Um, Josh didn't preach as often because they finally got the handle of video. But when he did, it was always like all these fluff things and all this stuff. There was a time where I did research for his servants. Oh, there we go again. There we go. So it was like getting to points where I'm just like, there's more than something off here. And from my understanding, if I did Hillsong College correctly with my basic theology, this is probably not how a pastor should behave or should be running a church. Because it was literally like, one of the things that I did was I did statistic reports every week. I knew numbers of um, volunteers, where they were serving, who was serving on what teams, and if anyone didn't report, I made sure that they did. Mm -hmm. So every Sunday after church, I was texting the leads like, hey, make sure you send me your volunteer numbers. Um, so, you know, it was it was something that I'm very much aware of. And I knew that as being a, a new campus, it was something that Josh had to prove to New York that it was working and functioning. Now, how fast paced it went was out of control because when we jumped from Wednesday services to Sunday services, it changed the game completely. But then we jumped immediately to two services. But then they're like, well, eventually we want you to sit one and serve one. And I'm like, how the hell do you want volunteers to sit one and serve one when they're doing everything? Yeah. 
they're not only doing everything on a Sunday, they're the ones running connect groups, right? All throughout Boston. So it was the same people over and over and over again that were being recycled in so many ways. And a lot of these people had lives outside of this church. A lot of them had working jobs and a lot of them were also studying. I, I wasn't doing either of those things somewhere where worlds revolved around Hillsong Church, but it got to a point where I would get, I would be home and I would lock myself in the room and lay in bed for hours. Yeah. And I didn't understand why. Like I knew that I was exhausted because it was a big week, but I didn't realize that I was leading myself into depression. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't until standing in church, it was a lead up to Heart for the House weekend. And I got so sick at church that I ended up crouching in a corner crying because I was in so much pain. Yeah. And because I wasn't able to find a job, I didn't have insurance in Massachusetts. So my friends that I ended up making at church there brought me to the bus station to put me on a bus to come to New York so I can go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And doctors still to this day don't know what it is. And it wasn't until I started seeing a therapist and started speaking to a psychiatrist that they're like part of the thing that's unexplainable when it comes to mental health is that you start having gut issues. Your physical body is trying to tell you something and because sometimes we're not aware yeah. of it then it, it just it shut down shut down i was out of service yeah. literally i couldn't do anything whatsoever but there i was still working from bed doing stuff and when i made the decision to not just step down but move back to new york um the response that i got was i knew it I knew this would happen. And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm physically ill. Like it's not, right. it's not because I'm comfortable. Like, oh, my life is so much better in New York city. I'm like, I'm still broke. I still don't have a job. <laughs> I'm staying at someone else's house. Like if it wasn't for that, I would be homeless, right. you know? Um, so it's not that like, I, oh my gosh, my life would be so much better if I was in New York city. I'm like, things are not working here and I was supposed to meet with Josh but I ended up not being able to um I had a text conversation with him about it not long after that a lot more people started noticing that I was back in New York you know and then it got around that I said that the pastors don't know what the fuck they're doing in Boston and it apparently hurt the straight white men and you know struck a chord um even though it wasn't even me that said it it was someone in close proximity to me and you know i was basically asked to step down through a text the day after thanksgiving by josh kimes yep and i have the text to prove it receipts um it was also the usual sandwich of you know i hope you're feeling better i've been praying for you I heard this happened. I'm really disappointed in what was said, but I'm not going to go into it after everything that we did for you. Um, All your responsibilities for Boston, you no longer have to worry about. Um, Focus on your healing and being comfortable in New York. Hope you have a happy holidays. Amazing. Um, Definitely. 
Sounds like something Jesus would have said. Oh, 100%. Verbatim. I like, I remember sitting there for hours, like, did I just dream that I got this text message from my pastor? Because I I was a volunteer there. You don't understand. Like, I, I heard these stories and versions of these stories a year later two years later, you know, mm-hmm. and I would hear these things. Cause it's not just you. It's not just you. Yep. Got bold with, like yeah. I would hear these things and I would think, Oh, bitch, I used to write for <laughs> Listen, Carl Lentz is cool. Carl would talk crazy to people, but you'd be like, that's Carl. Josh Kimes. It's like the nerve. I just mm-hmm. cannot get over the nerve. Like I could see Carl talking crazy to somebody in the real world. Josh would never, because Josh knows he does not have the range. No, he doesn't. It's me, the people, the way he spoke to people, relying fully on this position and the honor and knowing that these people would pay him honor and respect that he did not deserve because they were better people than him. Like, not because of anything he did, not because of anything he could do, not because of anything he brings to the table. Like, it is fully 100% just an abuse of power all the way across the board. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And, and the obviously, the really appealing part to people in Boston, and especially people that already considered themselves Christians, was that it was Hillsong. Right. You know? Hillsong. Hillsong worship. Like, all these things. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, so the appeal was there and because Carl was already known mm-hmm. it was well Carl sent one of his minions up to Boston to start and you know I I vividly also remember there being a conversation with me and Steve and he was like I want to make Josh as untouchable as Carl and I'm like I'm sorry what why first of all he's already untouchable no one has access to him unless they're in this us right here and this is very exclusive and it's not even like oh we're being exclusive because we want to protect people is because he has trust issues mm-hmm. that's not my damn problem we don't physically have the support that we need to run a campus you cannot ask people to do multiple things at the same time and expect quality results from it right you, it's not going to happen. And a lot of these people were more than willing to do that. And I'm like, there comes a point where you take advantage of people. You are taking advantage of people. Yeah. And I was okay with it getting past that point for me because I was already used to it. Mm-hmm. You come from Hillsong College. Like, you essentially pay to do free shit all the time. <laughs> yeah. Above and beyond, right? And with excellence, and you do it with a smile. Yep. Extra mile. We are extra mile Christians. And it's because of the honoring thing, right? We're right. Trying, we were trying to do everything to honor our leaders. We were trying to do everything because um, excellence was asked of us, not perfection. But the line between the two was often crossed very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no honoring top down. No, none. If anything, you were you were made to feel as if you weren't doing enough. Oh, Tiff, like, um, I know you're doing a million and one things, but are you 
going to a connect group, I'm like, fuck, do you want me to go to a connect group? I don't drive. I live in the suburbs, okay? It costs me $12 to get from the suburbs to into Boston, and then the trains stop at a certain time in Massachusetts. It's not New York City. Like, I need y'all to remember that, okay? Yeah. Tiff doesn't have a problem jumping on a train or a bus. I've been doing it my whole life. But, like, the audacity, it was always like, how's this? Why is this not done? Have you spoken to this person because they're not here anymore? Um, this number seems off. It, it was it was never, Tiff, how you're doing? And um, it was also hard for me as a woman and as a woman of color to be around people that that were in leadership that looked nothing like me. Yeah. So I had to constantly push myself further because, well, because I don't have that, I can be that for someone. And I've always been that kind of person. I'm like, I can break barriers. Ceilings are made to be broken. I'm, I'm meant to, to do this because the people that, that went before me were able to do that for me so I can do that for other people. Um, so I took that very seriously. But when meetings finished and all the black and people of color left the room and then we go on Instagram and everyone's hanging out and no one looks like us, but we weren't invited, how is that inclusive? How is that you belong here? It's not at all. So I made really good friends with certain people and you know, I had conversations with a lot of people, but I also was feeling the weight of it physically. And I got very, very sick. And I've never had um, a previous diagnosis as, as far as my mental health, but that's also, you know, growing up in a family where it's very taboo to talk about your mental health. Yeah. You know, you don't talk about those things. So, you know, while there were things that I was aware of, it was only because like we live in a society where, you know, it started, it was starting to be okay talking about it. Um, but it was still like, I don't know where church stands when it comes to having any feelings that feel anxious, you know, like, oh, it's just the devil, like attacking you. You're not getting enough rest. You're not reading your Bible enough. And I'm just like, I'm not going to say you're wrong. But also, like, there's more to the story. Right. And it wasn't until, you know, I was able to physically not do anything that I was able to see the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I even my decision to leave Boston, I wasn't going to just be like, oh, well, peace out. I'm not going to do anything. I transition. I tried to transition all my responsibilities over to someone. And that was what Josh let me go of in that text message. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was repercussions that were not thought of. The after effect was Steve and Josh, like, both hitting me up. Like, we, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're feeling better. I've been praying for you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All this stuff. And I'm just like, y'all dismiss me. You dismiss me completely. So I think I have every right to ignore you. Yep. And that's, it's exactly what I did. And it wasn't even that, like, I, I was upset that I'm like, I'm going to ignore them. It was, I didn't have the energy to respond to them because I was so depressed mm -hmm. and I didn't realize how fast it was going until New Year's Eve happened. 
And I remember I was taking a shower and I had to call Kyra while I was still in the shower. And I'm like, I need you to come back because I feel like I'm going to jump off the building. And she's like, I'll be there in a minute. And I sat in the shower and I waited until she got, she got there. And it wasn't until I had reached that point that I had realized how bad it was. Yeah. And I fully, fully know that the reason why I got that bad was because of what happened in my dismissal from Hillsong Church. Yeah. And while waiting for Kyra, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to leave a note. So I'm going to say why. And it was going to include what happened. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't that I felt like I actually had a safe person to talk to, I would have ended my life. And my life would have ended because of what happened, because of the lack of care and decency that was shown to me. And not just as a person that was there for six and a half years, but just as another human being. Yeah. And that's the scariest part about it all, because, you know, a lot of people are like, Tiff, you were so involved. You were really, you were there, you were always there. And I'm just like, yeah, but that shouldn't even be why I should have not been dismissed the way that I did. Right. Even if I didn't do any of those things, even if I wasn't as involved or was around for that long, no one should be, no one should be dismissed like that. Not, especially not from a church. Right. If this is how your Jesus behaves, I don't want anything to do with him. If this is what your Bible says, and this is how you treat someone, especially a woman of color, I don't want anything to do with it whatsoever. And I didn't know how to handle it because it got so overwhelming because everything crumbled within itself. Yeah. I I had lost everything. That was an entire six years of my life. And... Um, it came crashing down hard and people were aware it wasn't like, oh, we don't, we didn't know. So I went into a really, really bad depression after this. And it was hard for me to be able to get back up on my feet. Um, you know, it's taken a lot of inner work for me to trust people again, because I had to build up all of these walls because I'm like well I can't trust a damn person like (laughs) yeah who am I supposed to like who is actually my friend like and if I'm having all these intrusive thoughts and I was raised in a family with that doesn't speak about mental health I can't even lean on my family because I don't know how they're going to respond right and I was also really scared that people would just think I'm crazy and that was the most frightening part about it me thinking about it now because I'm just like I'm not, I wasn't crazy. Something super traumatic happened to me. And as a result, I wanted to end my life because of it. And then the even sadder part about it was I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew that I had very close friends that decided that they weren't going to be a part of this church, but because they had a good support system, they were able to to leave and and heal in the best ways they possibly can from it. But I'm also aware that there are unspoken people that people don't know about that left because they were left behind. And 
you know, it ached me for months because I'm just like, I'm not only thinking about myself, I'm now thinking about everyone else that this happened to. Yeah. And then people started coming out of the woodworks and I was hearing stories and people just started finding me. And then you wrote your play. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that, and that's a wrap on episode 7, a.k.a. part 1 of at least 2. As you heard right at the end there, Tiffany referenced a play that I wrote, and my thought, my plan, as of now, is to schedule and record a reading of that play and release that as the next episode. And if you're hearing this, it means I didn't edit it out, and so I'm basically locked in and have to make it happen now, which is actually a trick I play on myself a lot to actually get things done. I set deadlines and say them out loud, so I have to meet them or die of embarrassment. So, wish me luck as I try to beat this timed obstacle course that I have set for myself. Which I should really get to work on right, right now. So, thank you Tiffany for sharing your story. Everybody, put a pin in it because it ain't over. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you share, subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. For real, for real. Uh, the more stars you give and the more words you write, the more the algorithm will send folks this way. Uh, it's just like Jesus said. Life and death are in the power of the Apple Review. So, if you're feeling generous this next week, but also possibly very poor, please consider giving me the gift of a good review. But either way, thank you for listening. Stay safe and warm out there. Be kind to others and yourself. Wear your mask. Be well. And I will talk to you soon, one way or another. I am an eagle.